welcome everyone to another one of my uh, series of blogs, vlogs on the entire exploration of the enterprise associated to asset management, uh, and in particular service revenues associated with uh, asset management and assets in the channel, uh, and specifically for, for installed assets that may or may not be coming to end of life or being utilised for purpose other than what they were originally bought for. And there's no better people than to talk about that right now than uh, you, Jack, from TSI, TSIA, particularly given the research that you're putting out on, uh, in particular, on service revenues and their association to things like, uh, like, like uh, assets, uh, asset management, and in particular, the renewal of those. Uh, and you and I were talking recently, and we were both blown away by the, the well, I'll, I'll put it my way, the, I guess the, the, the lack of maturity in corporate strategy associated to keeping assets alive and keeping assets useful as an investment and a return on investment. And I have my own theories about that, uh, but I'll let you talk about yours. And Scott, uh, the all-important part of these strategies, uh, TSIA have the uh, Lear strategy, I had the LIPS, the, the, sorry, the LEAP strategy that we moved into uh, a LIPS framework now, given the all-important retirement of the asset, and you have the platform that allows for these strategies to be executed and executed profitably, profitably and that's what I want to explore today. Uh, we'll try to keep it short, but they never end up that way because of the quality of the content. But let me start uh, by uh, both of you, short introduction to yourselves and what you guys do, and we'll start with you, Jack. Well, Nick, great to talk with you today. Um, Technology Services Industry Association, TSAA, is a for-profit research and advisory association that serves the leaders in the technology industry. And within TSAA, we've got uh, 12 practices that, that focus very deeply within a particular uh, topic. It, maybe it's uh, professional services or managed services or access to service sales. Within the service revenue generation practice that I run, we focus on building service offers correctly and effectively to generate revenue, selling those offers up front at point of sale and making sure that they're attached appropriately. And how do we articulate uh, value properly and, and sell that value? And then ultimately, the renewal conversation comes back to what you started with was, you know, how do we, how do we understand what assets are installed? What are the values that those assets have brought to customers? And then how do we have that conversation in a very efficient and effective way to renew those assets? So... My experience is, is, is broadly across services, but very, very deeply with all things associated with renewing reoccurring revenue. And I help my members you know, move through that optimization motion. So great to talk with you today. Yeah, absolutely. And I do implore anyone who is looking um, uh, at this series uh, to look at Jack's work and Jack's research associated to uh, service revenues, and in particular, uh, that renewal side of it, which is the all-important side of starting off a lip strategy or a lear strategy. Scott, um, uh, you probably don't need too much of an introduction into this uh, <laughs> into this uh, audience, but uh, it's going for, uh, I've got to say to you, sorry, uh, a bit more than what you normally do because uh, the videos are going viral in the areas that we don't normally work in. So, go for it. Okay. So, um, 
So uh, Scott Frew, Chief Executive Officer of iAsset. Uh, I founded the company back in 2008. Uh, we are very closely aligned with uh, Jack's theories on uh, product life cycles and renewals. Um, we, uh, I went to market to build a platform to basically automate customer retention. That's what it's all about, making sure those customers aren't wandering out or you know, reducing churn. And that starts from the initial uh, net new sale and making sure you automate all of the fries with the burger through the uh, invest phase, which is really all about selling extra options and generating unsolicited proposals automatically. Then your protect phase, which is uh, the renewal, uh, classic renewal phase. And then surrender, which is your recycle or upcycle or change out, what trade out, uh, whatever the case may be. So we've been doing that so long now, we now do it for cloud. So that process happens monthly rather than yearly, which is what the old school sort of uh, hardware and maintenance guys used to do, or even three years for some of our um, non-IT customers. So uh, that's my background. Really important point that you mentioned, the uh, unsolicited proposals, which today is the consultative sell side of any channel strategy and being able to take something that is of relevance, let's call it a hot lead, into an in the installed base. And, you know, we did the series with Remy on installed base selling. Jack, how much of that are you seeing uh, executed uh, in the broader market, in particular in the broader channel? From an RFP um, perspective? Yeah. We still see quite a bit of RFP, particularly in some of the verticals, you know, things like telecom and, and so in particular, maybe some of the healthcare uh, verticals. We see a lot of uh, RFP-led um, renewal proposals. We honestly uh, attempt to um, sell um, against the RFP. We would prefer to see uh, a value-based conversation than a price-based conversation that the that the procurement officer is leading for for a customer, if you will. But um, but regardless, I think understanding what your renewal motion has in store for you as you approach that expiration date, and being able to prepare for it with the appropriate people and processes and systems, so that you can enter into that cycle in the most optimized position possible, is kind of the key, right? So. Whether you've got RFPs or whether you've got you know high volume digital renewals, you've got to segment your renewals and then mobilize for that type of work. And of course, RFP is still um, a, a prevalent way of, of many of our, the customers um, looking at their renewals today. So if you flip that around and started to think about it, not so much as wait for the RFP, but be proactive in going into your into your customer and saying, I will manage your assets. And it'll, it's a renewal process, of course, because that asset needs to come alive. And we're not just yep. talking about one asset. You know, no asset lives in isolation. It's fairly useless. So therefore, you know, there's several assets that are under management and being proactive and therefore having a platform like iasset.com to be able to give you the, if you like, the stationery and the quotes yep. and the paper to be able to go there. Uh, am I right in saying that you're saying that that's a much... More, 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 that's a better motion than it is to just wait for the RFP? Absolutely, no doubt about it. So, you know, information gives you power, right? And if you can see your assets and if you can understand uh, the context of the customer, you know, even bringing in things like, you know, support cases and usage and utilization and assets. So you take all of this information together and, 
renewals today is no longer you, you, you sold the product and then, you know, 200 days later you wake up and you say, hey, I'd like to renew your, your contract. That's kind of the old school way of doing it. And that kind of fell into that RFP trap, if you will. But those, those companies that can see their assets from, from the sale, you know, into the adoption, and then understand that you've got constant contact with that customer utilizing your renewal platform and the information in the platform positions you to proactively suggest the types of services that the customer could take advantage of. And then you essentially set the the context of the renewal conversation versus having an RFP show up on your desk and then you've got to respond with a price. And so we want to break that cycle of just kind of price transaction renewal. Wow, there's so much gold there. There's so much information there. Uh, Scott, you must be listening to this and like music to your ears, right? Uh, but what, what's interesting, or what, what I want to ask you, Scott, is uh, given that uh, the cycle of renewal uh, is only the beginning, you know, uh, in, 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 in my old company, Distribution Central, and then which was purchased uh, by, by our, and indeed, you know, Scott, you, you, we were business partners there by Arrow. Uh, we used to say, if at first you don't succeed, renew. So the same information, the same data that, 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 that Jack's talking about uh, is the beginning of a process. So what does ISAT.com do after the renewal? Let's just assume that you were wise enough and smart enough to put in an, uh, an install asset lifecycle management system. What then comes? What is like the big goal? It's just about well, I think to, to Jack's point, uh, we estimate that on a typical renewal, there's 22 phone calls going on between all three levels of the channel and the end customer. So if you're doing digital high velocity transactions, you can't do that. I mean, it's a loss making exercise. Um, and I'd also like to say that if the platform, uh, whether it's ours or some other platform doing, is doing its job, it should almost be um, non-existent to the end customer, right? This process should all be happening in the background and not be obvious. Um, in the cadence is, you know, one of the words Jack taught me a long time ago, in the cadence of renewals, yes, you've got this underlying campaign doing the refresh piece or the renewal piece. What you want to do is jump in between there and say, look, you know, the customer uh, might have a, a security product that there's, you know, better protection options available now. You want to go out to your customer base and present that proposal to say, look, yes, you have a UTM. Yes, it's got this, that and the other, but there's new threats out there and we would like you to consider this particular option to make sure your network is secure or it could be a business uh, process uh, optimization type product like a switch or a router, whatever it is. Um, it's about trying to make sure that in front of that customer, you are keeping them educated and making sure that their equipment that they've invested a lot of money in is still being relevant today. And if not, then move to that next phase, which is surrender. So trade it out, trade it up, recycle it, uh, whatever the case may be. So that, to me, when I listen to it and in other conversations that I've had, it sounds like contemporary business 101. I'm going to ask you both the same question and come at it from your own experiences. What, like, in my mind, and I can say this in the, in, the, in the world that I live right now, it would almost be irresponsible if you weren't executing on a Lear or a LIP strategy with an installed asset lifecycle management platform like iAsset, right? This is not a sell. This is just business 101. If you're looking for a new business revenue, it's right there. It's right there in your installed base, getting those assets to 
deliver more to the business that you've just sold them to by selling more. And they are, to me, net new sales. And while the while, while every business is, is, is measured and arranged around net new sales, these are net new sales. They wouldn't have happened if you didn't come in and do the consultation based on the tools we're talking about. What stops that? Jack, can you give me your version yeah. of what stops that? So I'll talk from a renewals uh, perspective. So classic renewals was built around a charter of defend. And, and so it was really about protecting your model, the LIPS model, right? It was about protect the install base. And so some companies set up renewal organizations more as an operations team that was, was kind of, I, I have 3,000 transactions and I want to see if I can get 2,800 of those 3,000 transactions defended or renewed, right? In today's world, we're really shifting into, I think Scott's mentioned it a little bit, but I'll add, I'll add a little context. We're really shifting to what is the value and the outcome that the product and the, and the attached services are providing to the customer. And the renewals organization increasingly is becoming not just defend, but expand and renew and taking that opportunity to do a health check or to do a refresh check that says, did the solution and the products that I sold to you initially, are they still relevant today? And, and once you assess that relevance, you pivot to resizing the relationship as appropriate. So if you've got a great relationship and they're oversubscribed and using the product, then you want to try to meet that expanding need. And so the renewal rep might take that down themselves or they might, they might, uh, give a lead to an account executive or to a salesperson that's responsible for net new sales. That be, might be one motion. Or if you if you get into this and you find that you're not meeting expectations or what was sold up front was too large, too big, not being used, maybe the job of the renewal rep at that point is to resize that and, and to kind of refresh that solution with something different. So. The role of the renewal rep is really about value, appreciating value delivered and then pivoting so that you can refresh that relationship with the next value that's demanded of the customer. And of yeah. course, it's all done under a sales quota and transactions and, you know, in time is of essence, right? Well, to that point, Jack, you've got to have uh, an underlying program of um, stratification of your base insofar as if it's high velocity, low value transactions like antivirus type renewals, it's got to be highly automated, zero touch because there's no margin in it for the channel partners. Then get the platform to push up the higher value ones into say an inside sales rep team like a renewals team or a customer success team. And then push the really high value ones back up to direct touch reps to make sure that they're in there doing the consultative sell with the customer. And I think that's where uh, you know, things tend to uh, drop away because everyone's trying to, you know, use the same hammer for the for the different levels. Yeah, uh, Scott, just just to add to that, uh, you've got some practical experience here because you've got lots of customers that are doing it. Uh, in 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 starting, are you starting with a data discussion? Are you starting with an installed base discussion? Are you starting with a sales motion? How, how, how does the sales process work for a channel player, one, uh, whether you're a vendor, a distributor, or a reseller, service provider, I don't care. How does the, how does the conversation start? 
So generally, Nick, they are pretty much focused on renewals. If you take, you know, Jay McBain's example of most vendors are at a level out of 10 or only at about a three in sophistication in this market, it's usually about they can, they feel like they're missing revenue in that renewals base. They are nowhere near generally sophisticated enough to be understanding the install base opportunities. That's why the Remy uh, conversation was so good at HPE. Um, but really, it starts with that. And what gets in the way of that is usually... I can do it on Excel, which, you know, financial application is just not good enough to do this. Or my IT team can build it. And the IT team's got to worry about PCs and software and all the other things that IT teams worry about. And they can never get up against, you know, some of the SaaS players like CRM or ERP or us because they're not doing this stuff every day. And then they've got to maintain it. And then the company wants to pull you know, uh, money back out of IT because it's, you know, they want to be more efficient. So there's all of these different political uh, pieces going on as well. Plus, you've got Wall Street only really care about net new sales, forgetting cloud companies. And so the whole organization's targeted at net new. And so often the renewals piece or the product lifecycle piece is just sort of trundling behind because that's not our focus. We need to hit new quarterly numbers uh, and I think they, they're the sort of areas that uh, slow most organizations down. And most of the CEOs of the companies that um, are, are, are out there today, uh, they're looking at their sales guy to get those net new numbers. They're not actually thinking about product lifecycle. They're certainly not thinking about channels or how to make channels more efficient because that's not their, you know, purview. They've got a channels guy to do that. But then the channels guy never gets the power to be able to uh, do what the net new sales guy can do with the organization. Jack, based on, on, on that, does your research suggest that we're early in the process or just it's, it's just not understood? Well, it is a mixed bag. Um, so if, if we take a look at kind of the, the old traditional uh, renewals motion, there has been a movement in the last, I'm going to say, 15 years where I think technology companies, they do get it that the, the install-based revenue is important to their business and increasingly investors are rewarding those companies that can demonstrate you know, an increasing level of reoccurring revenue as a composition of their, of their revenue streams. Um, I will say that the, that the, the, the puck is moving, right? I mean, the, the, the bar is moving. I'll, I'll give you an example, two examples. If we take a look at just that component of the renewal install base that, that technology companies are addressing through a digital motion, digital motion meaning that it's led by technology either through CPQ and associated you know, mechanisms to transport the opportunity to the customer and they can buy it you know, online by themselves, right? Um, you know, less than 25% of the opportunities that we see available to be uh, addressed digitally are being addressed digitally, right? So it's an immature practice from that perspective. I would also say that when you, when you introduce the channel into the conversation versus a direct motion, it's even, it's even more immature. And there's clearly, as Scott just talked about, there, there's these disconnects between supplier and channel, and they, they seem to be circling one another there are pockets of great performance, there's no doubt about it. When suppliers and, and key channel partners work together and they, and they have their data architecture sorted out, they've got their infrastructure sorted out, they've got their sales cadence sorted out, they understand who's leading the deal and who's supporting the deal, there, there are some cases of, of really good performance. 
But I'll tell you, that's the exception. It's not the rule today. We are still in this kind of continually trying to catch up to the what is the possibility of, of renewal performance, particularly in the, trend, in the traditional renewal market where you've got heavy assets. The cloud has its own dynamics, but they tend to be able to address many of the renewal motions um, a little bit better than the traditional hardware, software, on-prem asset uh, companies. So, so based on 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 there are you know some some best practice. Uh, I'll ask you both uh, generically if you can, because you know we have privacy issues and we don't want to drop names. Uh, but um, what are the best practices that you're seeing? Uh, Scott on the platform, uh, and also Jack in terms of you know what you're seeing from your research as far as what's coming back to you. Uh, I'll hand it over. So, well, I'll, I'll take this one first. Um, so I, I can talk publicly because we've pushed lots of information out about um, helping with HPE channels. You know, HP 360 outputs a difficult thing to deal with. We've built complete automation. So if you're an HPE distributor and an HPE reseller below them, if they're both running platforms, then no one touches it. It goes straight through because you set up the customer rules base to say, well, for that customer or that category or whatever, I'm going to charge this much margin over the top of the HPE 360 quote coming down. And same with the reseller. So you can completely automate that ecosystem all the way through. And as much as I'd love to sell HPE a platform, they could actually automate the entire process. We're not there yet. And it's about taking the pain out for the channel. What Jack will know is true is that most of the um, uh, vendors these days are still pushing out shiny new PRM or partner resource management centers. Now, the thing that is a problem with that is if you're a partner and you're dealing with 30 manufacturers, you have to log into 30 different platforms to actually get your job done. Well, sales guy can't sell anything if he's sitting there on platforms all these, you know, every day. So that was my point about trying to make the platform, platform invisible because this is not to get in the way of their efficiency. This is to increase efficiency. And I always say to vendors, I know you want to make your internal systems more efficient, which they see as making the channel do more work. But actually, you've got to make your channel more efficient, and that will tie back into your efficiency upstream. Jack? Yeah, I would, I would add on that. I think Scott talks to the, the kind of the renewal automation platform and the connectivity between the supplier and the channel to make that work well. I think that that's clearly a, a best practice, although a minority practice today, I will say. Yep. Um, the other areas I find particularly um, underserved are in the analytics area. Um, for example, Excel today in our research is still the dominant AI uh, tool of choice, even though there's wonderful, you know, purpose-built platforms for analytics, and, 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 and still we see the, the dominant response in, 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 in analytics in Excel. Um, you know, the other thing too is, is that we find that um, suppliers and channel are at cross odds in terms of what are the, the, the KPIs that we're going to measure and how are we going to work together on a common aligned um, set of, of measurements and how do we put those into a common portal so that the supplier and the partner can understand how do they stand against the opportunity? You know, are we doing well? Are we not doing well? How are we doing relative to our peers? And so those companies that can measure the business with their partner and, and provide input and insights to the partner tend to have a much better performance on top of that technology platform 
And then you add in, you know, some, some decent analytics on top of that. And then all of a sudden you start to see we've got uh, at least vision in, in terms of our ability to know where we're going, if not the business capabilities underneath of it filled in to, to have a robust technical capabilities beyond just excellent people doing great work. Well, that's, and that's a good point, Jack, because, you know, with the data piece, you know, to do the analysis, you've got sort of three types. You've got no data at all or it's very messy. You've got vendors got good data and got control, but the partners can't have an argument when they think they're wrong because they don't have the data set. If the partner's got all the data and the vendor doesn't, then the reverse happens. So it is really all about marrying that data up so it's clean at all entities. And then you can actually have that, you know, you're both looking forwards rather than at each other conversation. So it is absolutely a critical point. Yeah, that is. That's a great point too. And I'll add one point that I just found. I just completed a, a survey um, that will be released publicly here in the next month, which is re, uh, renewing reoccurring revenue via channel partner. One of the interesting findings that we found is that our pace setter suppliers expect the partner to communicate with the, the customer and, the, and they do not go around the channel to try to do the renewal for the channel. They actually work with the channel and expect the channel to carry that conversation and do the sales work. And then they build in the infrastructure to help in, you know, enable the channel, manage the channel, monitor the channel, support the channel, if you will. So they really committed to the channel versus um, sort of committing, but then going around the channel to try to do the work for them. Honestly. Yeah, it's my old saying, Jack. It's a vendor with a channel versus a channel-led vendor. There you go. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, well, it, 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 it starts to talk to, and, you know, we can start to, to end, end the conversation around this really important point. You know, what, what kind of channel organisations best fit this new frontier of installed-based selling? You know, Jack, you talk about renewals a lot, but it's, 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 it's installed-based selling using, you know, X as a service, you know, platforms. Um, you know, to, to start to use contemporary sales initiatives to really generate uh, some revenue that's worthy of the, of, of, of the organization because it's giving ROI to their ultimate customer. What's the profile? Jack, uh, and I'll, I'll start with you because we talked about some of the work that I was doing with the, um, with the, the, the consulting companies, the big four or the big six financial services companies because they come at it from a risk point of view. Um, and then that started to talk to an even bigger, you know, market, not just the IT market, but the OT market with plan and equipment and that risk level. Who, yeah. Who's going to, that's the huge opportunity. What, what does the channel organization look like if they're going to be able to exploit that? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that, I think the cutting edge for the, the channel today, particularly in the X as a service world, is this in, in your model? You've got the, the the LIPS, right? But it's that it's that LI component. In, in my model, the layer model, it's the adoption, the A A component. Where channel, where the traditional channel really struggles is, is that they tend to manage against the transaction, right? It's transaction margin or points on the deal or what have you, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for this customer success conversation and to have customer success folks on staff that are really working with the customer around how are they um, liking the product, using the product, adopting the product, getting value out of the product. And in X as a service world, 
the, the dynamics shift, if I can diverge just briefly, in traditional market, the, the composition of the revenue received on the reoccurring side is maybe, let's, let's call it 17% to 38%, because that's the attached services. In X as a service, it's almost 100%. We're in the high 90s where if you lose that customer, you lose 100% of that revenue stream. Yet the channel doesn't necessarily invest yet in an aggressive way in that customer success thinking and that value thinking. And so I think that's the real opportunity today. How do suppliers and, and channel enable one another in an effective model to get through that adoption phase so that you can get into the renewal you know, later on? And it's those channel partners that can see through the transaction and really get into the value selling and the value, the lifetime value of the customer. Those are the partners that I think are really going to kind of take it to the next edge. Scott, what do you think? Well, I think I think to Jack's point, you know, you get a lot of the service providers that are forward thinkers that are already in that space because they've kind of come out of that monthly transactional process. But the classic VARs are still very, very clunky and slow to move and are still very much focused on that big net new opportunity rather than, oh, well, I need to collect those trailing renewals behind it. And then cloud just blows it up completely because if you don't automate cloud, even at a reseller level, you're just going to lose money over the whole process. Um, and to go back to one of your points, Jack, you were talking about some, um, you know, uh, channel-led companies. There, there is an exception for a manufacturer to step over top of the channel and actually help them. And that is, in our experience, we've got um, vendors that are doing very, very low-value renewals. They can't get a distributor to play. They can't get the reseller to play because it's, it's a $100 renewal. So you put the platform over top to the end customer. You, you manage the operational process at the front end, not the relationship and then rebate back up the chain to your manufacturer. And that's been very successful for some of these uh, high frequency, uh, low value type guys. That's a great point and you're absolutely right. And I think that's a huge opportunity today. Mm. It's, 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 it's well un undersubscribed. And yep. honestly, I think we have to shift this paradigm. We tend to focus on having to have a wonderful relationship at the enterprise level, but we just sort of sweep the, the high volume, low dollar renewals, you know, best effort kind of thing. Yep. I think those companies that can, can promote outstanding experience and self-serve are going to see, you know, in, in incredible revenue and margin flow to the bottom line because you, you're, you're taking, you're burying your cost into your technology, which you're going to reuse over and over and over again. And now all of a sudden you don't have to spend that operational expense around your labor and all the things associated with attending to the renewal. And frankly, the folks that can figure that out and are going to be able to make that much more efficient. And then the channel is going to receive revenue in return versus having to do, you know, take the margin on the deal, you know, as they sell it themselves. Yeah. Or, or not chase it because it's, there's no value in chasing it. And the vendor still obviously wants the money, you know, the renewal to happen for adoption, but the channel's not so uh, driven to do it. I think you're both uh, making some very strong points around the, the importance of, uh, of, of, of this kind of strategy because it talks to uh, responsible revenue generation because you're giving your, the ultimate customer a better return on investment on what they've already sunk. At mm. the same time, you know, the, the, the more more obvious thing is customer retention. In other words, I've, I've, I can keep that customer because I'm more valuable to them because I'm giving them something of value that they can't do without. 
and I'm talking to them rather than they're coming back to me and asking me for you know a price quote situation, which you're already second or third third, third play. Um, we'll start to end this, and I want to want to uh, uh, talk about how how, do, how does someone find out more about your work uh, if they're listening to this, uh, Jack? Because TSIA is a large organisation, plenty of research, uh, but if they're specifically interested in this narrative. Yeah. Where should they go first? What should they do next? Yeah, so TSAA, uh, you can go to the TSIA.com website. Uh, inside that, you can navigate to, to any of the practices, but my practice, you know, service revenue generation. Um, there are a number of research assets that are available to, uh, to the open community. Um, to, to get into our deep research, um, our members access that on a 7 by 24 basis and they can get access to all of the benchmark information and the data that we, you know, that we work with our members on. Um, so just look uh, you know, for Jack Johnson you know, associated with TSAA and that's the, the best place to find uh, my research right now. Uh, I, will, I will give a plug also, the, the COVID thing has really thrown companies on their ear and TSA as a company has has pivoted the way that we're doing some research where we've where we've built a rapid research response center inside that website and there's amazing content that we've built over the last three months helping companies navigate through the stresses of of uh, COVID in fact I just published a paper last week talking about dealing with discounts which we're seeing a lot of requests for discounts starting to come into to our members today. So that would be a paper that you might find up on the website. Yeah, on the COVID thing, Jack, I, one of my proudest moments over the last couple of months was a personalized email come from one of the individuals running one of the teams on ISET.com praising us because they all moved home kept using the platform, it didn't even miss a beat, whereas they've still got to deal with some very archaic systems and some old school ERP systems, which aren't necessarily built for the working from home environment. But uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So on that, Scott, if I've listened to all this and I want to execute real quick, and I know you guys have got a get your feet wet or introductory uh, strategy at the moment where you're giving the platform away, part of the platform anyway, for free. How do I do that? Uh, well, hit our website and drop us an email at info at iset.com or hit me direct, sfrew at iset.com. Um, the uh, free six-month license uh, offer is coming up towards the end of June. Uh, we haven't de we've decided yet whether we're going to extend, but we are working on some other promotional aspects to try and help. It was really targeted at the reseller who's the the guy that's probably carrying most of the can for COVID because smaller margins, smaller organizations, they don't have the ability to invest or the IT team to go and build things. Uh, so I was really targeted at them. We have uh, obviously taken a couple of smaller distributors on um, and the manufacturers are generally a lot healthier. So I don't give it away for free to those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, we'll put all that in the show notes as well for, for everyone to, uh, to review. Uh, I will leave it at that, and I will look forward to talking to you both more about this topic as it evolves and as it gets more mature. Uh, it will get more mature with the work that I've been doing over the last six months. COVID has locked me in uh, rather than uh, allowing me to be a gypsy and travel the world. So I'm back in the suits and ties. So uh, you can always uh, grab me, nick at verikios.org. You know, Crazy Horse is my consulting company. Um, I'm obsessed with this area. We will be doing a lot more interviews around this, but I uh, thank you both. 
for some really valuable information and look forward to uh, the next two or three sessions on talking about the practicalities of this. So uh, have a wonderful, safe time and day or night, uh, Jack, and uh, we'll talk soon. Well, can I just say before you go to anyone watching this, uh, we've been involved with TSIA for a long time and uh, they've got some very, very good information and Jack in particular, I know he doesn't have any grey hair left, but he's had uh, more exposure to this market than, uh, than I am old, I think. Yeah. So I highly recommend him. Every time I talk to Jack, I always realise how much I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.